If you are following along on your Sunday handout, you'll see an outline inside the, uh, on the second page there. Uh, there is a typo on there. That's last week's passage at the top, chapters 4 and 5. So it is the passage we just had read for us, chapter 6, uh, this week. And you'll see um, this morning's talk is brought to you by the letter D and the number 3. Three dangers, three defences, three delights. Uh, that's where we're heading this morning. So let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this uh, good word that we've just heard read that's been um, preserved and believed for us through many generations. And we ask that you'll help us to value it as well, to listen carefully, to hear your word for us, that we might heed the warnings it contains, that we might uh, make use of the resources that it gives us to fend those uh, dangers off, and that we might delight evermore in being your children. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since moving to the Gold Coast, uh, I have become a real fan of Google Maps. Um, moving from Lismore, where, you know, anywhere was only 10 minutes away, and I knew, I'm pretty sure I knew the name of every street, and there was really only one way to get anywhere, and uh, no traffic, uh, Google Maps wasn't really necessary. Uh, but moving to somewhere like the Gold Coast, it's a different story. You know, there is more traffic, nothing like, you know, Sydney or perhaps Brisbane, but still there's traffic from time to time, and, and there are multiple ways of getting any one place, aren't there? And so I've become a fan of using uh, Google Maps so that I can not only arrive at my destination, uh, but get there in the quickest time possible and uh, hopefully in the safest way as well. It's amazing how Google Maps is so... Uh, up-to-date, isn't it? It can give you real-time intelligence about how to get somewhere. Now, wouldn't it be great if there was something like Google Maps for life? Real-time information uh, that would always make sure that you got to your destination in the best time and safest way possible. Well, I think there is. I think there is something like Google Maps, and I think we just read some of it, Uh, this morning. I think that that's exactly what God's Word is. Incredibly, written a long time ago and yet full of real-time information uh, that helps us navigate all the challenges on the road ahead of us, that helps us find the best path and assures us that we will reach our destination if we just pay attention, if we just listen carefully, if we just obey what it says. So uh, in today's passage, that's exactly what we're going to see because uh, in Israel's situation, perched there as they are on the edge of the promised land, we've just heard that uh, once they enter the land, the, the crucial thing is that they listen to God and his word and do his will. Uh, but there seems to be at least a little bit of doubt in God's mind about whether that's going uh, to happen. Have a look uh, just at the end of chapter 5. In verse 29, he says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. There's some hint there 
that maybe things in the land aren't going to go so well, that God's people aren't going to be great at listening to his word. And so in this passage, uh, he warns them of three dangers, three things that might stand in their way, the way of standing in the way of their obedience. Uh, But first, before we get to looking at those dangers, I want to point out that God first reminds them of who he is, because this is going to be their best motivation, the, the thing that's most likely to help them to obey, remembering who God is. See, their obedience will be determined by how well they know and how well they love God. And so that's what's in the first uh, few verses there. Hear Israel, verse 3, and be careful to obey so that it might go well with you, that you might increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. This is the great uh, statement, the great catch cry of uh, the Old Testament, of God's Old Testament people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's known as the Shema in Jewish uh, theology. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Know the God who is above all. Know the God who is unique in all the world. Know him and know that he loves you because that's what will help you to love him. Uh, You'll notice if you've got a Bible like mine that there's a, a footnote at the bottom of the page here referring to that verse. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It seems like a pretty simple verse, and yet there are various other ways that it could be rendered. The Lord our God is one Lord. Or the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. See, all of those ideas, God's uniqueness, uh, the fact that there are, in fact, no other gods, only God is truly God, Unlike the nations around who might worship many gods or different gods, worship only God. But what is beyond doubt is that this verse is saying that God is unique. Know him and know that he alone is worthy of worship. And not only is he the one and only God, but this God is also the all or nothing God. The all or nothing God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Leave nothing behind. Leave nothing on the playing field. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And then it will go well with you in the land that he is giving you. But there are dangers. What do you think might compromise Israel's love for God? We could actually ask the same question of ourselves. What do you think might compromise us loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength? Because I think that the answer to that question doesn't really change as generations come and go, as societies rise and fall, as cultures uh, change, because it's all about what's going on in our heart, isn't it? And uh, Moses puts three dangers Uh, highlights three dangers for Israel so that they'll be able to be aware in advance, a little bit like the little markers on the Google Maps thing, you know, the little triangle with the exclamation mark or the guys doing their road work or whatever it is. That's what we get here with these three dangers. So let's listen carefully and see if they might be dangers for us as well. Firstly, in verses 10 to 12, 
And the danger here is complacency. Listen to this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you didn't dig and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant, and when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's it's pretty clear here what's going on, isn't it? See, God is going to give them this good land. And it is good. It's full of good things. And they're going to get to enjoy all the good things that the land holds. Even though they didn't create them or, or make them themselves. God has just laid it on for them. And then they'll enjoy them and... The danger is that they will be satisfied in those things. Do you see that? When you eat all these things, where is it? I've lost it. Uh, When you eat and are satisfied, and there is a danger in satisfaction if we find our satisfaction in the wrong things, if we find our hunger sated by the wrong things. See, what Israel is being told is, You didn't generate all these things. God gave them to you. But if you focus on the things that he's given you and just enjoying those things, and if you find your satisfaction in those things, then you'll forget the God who gave them. And he's the one that we're meant to find our satisfaction in. So the first danger is complacency. It's so easy for this to happen. In fact, it's possible that success in life is a greater danger than difficulty because it can lead us to think that we don't need God anymore. We can just become satisfied with what he's given us rather than hungering for him. So the gifts become a snare and we forget the giver. Very dangerous. It's why the heart of a Christian always needs to be a grateful heart so that we're reminding ourselves, hang on, This isn't what's good, ultimately. It's the one who gave this to me. So beware. The first danger, complacency, being satisfied with the things that God gives us. The second danger uh, was compromise. Compromise. Have a look at verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Worship God and worship God alone. Why? Well, back to verse 4, the Shema, because the Lord our God is the Lord alone. He is the only God. Worship him only. I think the danger here for Israel and probably for us as well wasn't so much that they were going to totally turn their back on God altogether, but that the gods of the nations around them were going to influence their worship of God. Perhaps they might sort of just carve out a little place for some of those gods beside their worship of God. Do you see how dangerous that is? We would know if we were sort of turning our back on God altogether, but It's a lot more dangerous and a lot easier, really, to just kind of add worship of other gods to our worship of the one true God, to compromise, you see, to compromise our worship of God. 
But God, we read, is a jealous God, which is a very interesting word to use of God. I think we usually react negatively to a word like jealous or jealousy. We think it's a negative trait, and so often in people it is. But here's the thing to understand about our relationship with God. It's a covenant relationship, a very special kind of relationship. It's an exclusive relationship that God calls us into. In fact, it's just like a marriage is meant to be. It too is a covenant relationship, a promise made between one person and another that they will be for each other and each other alone. And in that context, I hope that you can see how jealousy can be a good thing. Not, not against an imagined threat. That, that's when it gets ugly, when there's no real threat, but one party imagines it. But when there's a real threat, jealousy is right in the context of this kind of exclusive covenant relationship. See, God is not prepared to share you with anybody, with any other God. He wants you to himself. He wants your worship. That's what belongs. That's, that's your appropriate expression of love to him, and he wants it all for himself. And he wants you to know his love as the only true God who can be your God. No other God can be. This is what faithfulness looks like in our relationship with God. Now, I wonder what sorts of gods might challenge our love, our worship of the one true God, might cause us to compromise. It's probably not going to be um, an idol that you put next to your front door, I'm guessing. What might it look like then? Well, there's all sorts of things that can rise up and clamour for our attention and say, hey, trust me. Trust me, give me your allegiance, give me your attention, devote yourself to me. See, that's worship language, trust, devotion. Things like work, we can find our identity in work. Things like family, do we have a good and growing family, a loving family? Things like entertainment, things like good health, See, they're all good things, but they're not gods. They're not the one true God. And unfortunately, we can at times give them that kind of status and that kind of place in our lives. In fact, I think perhaps the biggest one for our generation or generations for our time is actually comfort, ease. Who doesn't want that? But the problem is when we make it our goal... It starts directing us and it effectively becomes our God. So I just want to put that warning out there this morning. Don't pursue comfort and ease. Pursue God and he might lead you on a rocky path. But you can trust him. You can trust him that that is actually the best way to get to where he wants you to go. So beware, be careful of compromise. And thirdly, the third danger, so we've had complacency, being satisfied in stuff. We've had compromise, actually following after, chasing after things that aren't God. And thirdly, a complaining spirit. 
It's another thing that stood in Israel's way. Verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. This is in their wilderness wanderings, thirsty, finding that they didn't have enough to drink and complaining and grumbling against Moses and Aaron and against God. Faithlessness, not trusting God, led to fearfulness in the wilderness. See, effectively what happened here was that the people put God in the dock. They were trying God, putting him on trial, insisting that he prove himself by giving them what they wanted or what they thought they needed at the time. And I think that's something that we, a danger that we can fall into as well. When life is not going exactly as we thought it should or think it should, we do complain and grumble. We're really, really good at this, in fact. You know, when all those aches and pains get all a bit too much, we do moan and groan about it all, don't we? And we can conclude, as Israel did at the time, that maybe God is not with us. Because if he is, why wouldn't he rescue us from this situation? Another easy danger to fall into that, that uh, jeopardises our faith and our trust in God. So there are three dangers, complacency, compromise, and a complaining spirit. But God doesn't just give the warnings. He also gives us what we need to defend against those dangers. And here are three things in the passage that he gives us. Three defences. The first is to talk about the commands, to talk about the word of God. So have a look at the advice or the command in verse 6, verses 6 to 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, how do you achieve that? How do you get commands onto your heart or into your heart? Keep reading. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, the one way to be sure to arm ourselves against these dangers is to make use of the word of God. And not just occasionally, not just only to sort of pick it up and pull it off the shelf and open it up on a Sunday, but rather daily. And not just daily, but all through the day. Do you notice this? You know, from the time you get up in the morning to the time that you lie down in the end, every time you pass through a doorway, every time you look at your hands, the idea is that the word of God is, is there, is present, is finding a home in your heart. The more that we talk about it with each other, notice that, talk about it as you walk along the road, and talk about it with your children, talk about it with your friends, the more that we make use of the word of God, the better armed we'll be, the better defended we'll be to ward off uh, any danger that would drag us away from our worship of God. Um, one of the most effective ways that I've found of doing this is uh, a little bit like covenanting, making an agreement with a friend to every day uh, share with them something that I've been reading in the Bible. So to just send a short message saying something like, you know, sometimes it might even just be the verse itself. 
Uh, other times I might say, you know, here's a thought I had from what I read today. Uh, and then they can respond to that either by, you know, just responding to what I've read or they might share with me what they've read. Every day, Bible buddies, we called it, Bible buddy. Have a Bible buddy that you can do that with. Uh, it's very helpful. So the first uh, uh, defence is to talk. The second defence might sound a little bit odd, uh, but that is to fear God. So have a look at verse 13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Because this is what will help you not to follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. And the idea of fearing God might be one that you don't particularly like the sound of, a little bit like the idea of God being jealous. But just as God being jealous is actually a good thing, so, is, uh, so it is for us to fear God. It's not something we should be shy of or uh, embarrassed of. It's really important. And just to give you a sense of how appropriate it is that we fear God, let me put this little scenario before you. What do you think you would do if God, in all his glory and majesty, entered into this building and appeared before you this morning? What do you think you would do? Do you think you would just go, look at that? You wouldn't, would you? You would be flat on your face. In awe, in wonder, in reverence, in, in an immediate understanding of who you are and who he is, you would fear him. Not, not necessarily fear his judgment, but just fear him, his nature. It's appropriate. And that will help us no end to not fear the other gods, to not think that anything else around us has any sway over us like the one true God does. If we fear God appropriately, it will help us not to compromise our worship of the one true God. So that's the second defence, to fear God. And the third defence, it's going to sound similar to the first, but it's a little bit different. The third defence is to tell, to tell about God. So have a look at verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what's the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Well, why do we have to do all this stuff, Dad? How do you answer that question? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household, but he brought us out from there, to bring us in and give us the land he promised on earth to our ancestors. You see, we're to tell each other and we're to tell future generations not the commands but the story, the story of God's rescue. That's what we're to tell, the old, old story. Why should we keep the commandments? Because God loved us. Because God rescued us. Because God had a plan for us, a good life ahead for us. Of course, the story that we tell isn't this story. It's not the story that Moses' generation were to tell of being rescued from Egypt. The story we tell is the story of the old rugged cross. The story we tell is the one of our rescue. 
of God's good plan for us, that he understood our enemies, he understood how Satan, sin and death were arrayed against us in all their power and might. And yet one man, one man stood against them all and defeated them all for us, for our rescue, for our freedom, for our redemption. And that's the story we tell. And telling that story, that true story of our salvation, of our origin, of our beginning with God, that, that has power. That has power to push aside any complaining spirit, doesn't it? That has power to give understanding of why God's way is best and why we follow his way. So there are the three defences that God gives us to ward off the three dangers. And finally, I just want to finish with three delights. See, because I reckon one of the great things about the Bible is that God, God never just says no. God, God never just says thou shalt not. He always says because there's a much better way and there's a much better life and a much better result that I have in mind for you. And at first, we were just touching on it there. The first delight that I want to bring to your attention is freedom. See, I think one of the things that often compromises our obedience so much is the feeling that we have to give up our freedom to be obedient. Is that how you feel? Like, hang on, if I have to obey somebody outside of myself, that means submitting to them. Doesn't that mean giving up my freedom? And that's how our, our minds and our hearts work when we think about obedience. But... When we obey God, we actually experience freedom. See, he sets us free from any other sort of bondage or slavery, free to know him and to follow him, which is actually what life is all about. So there's freedom available for us, and that is a delight to live in the freedom that God has won for us in Jesus Christ. To understand the role that obedience plays in our freedom helps us to obey Obedience doesn't win us freedom. Obedience is actually part of our enjoyment of the freedom that God has won for us. Uh, Along with that, we get to enjoy the delight of righteousness. There's a rather interesting verse that this passage ends with. If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, on the face of things, that almost sounds like our righteousness is achieved by our own obedience, as in a saving righteousness, a righteousness that makes us right with God. I actually think that what's going on here is that when we obey God, we are being righteous. Unless we're in Christ, we can't obey God. or at least we can't obey God from the right motives. But when we're brought into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and we receive his Holy Spirit and we receive the new heart, we actually can obey God from a right heart. We can be righteous. When you're a believer and you come to cross a road and you think, oh, I'll just jaywalk across here, even though there's a pedestrian crossing 10 metres down the road over there. But you stop and think to yourself, actually, it would be righteous, it would be pleasing to God 
for me to submit to the law of the land to go and walk across the pedestrian crossing, then you can walk down that 10 metres and you can skip across the road and you can sing hallelujah and enjoy the feeling of being righteous, that is, of being obedient, of submitting yourself to God. And it is a great feeling to know that we can live in a way that is in line with God's desire and his will and the way that he has set the world up. Not to earn his favour, he already loves you, but he loves seeing his children enjoying living out the reality of being his children. And finally, the third delight is eternal life. I don't know a lot about what your future holds, but two things I am sure of. One, unless Jesus decides to come back earlier, you and I will die. These bodies will give up. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, the other certainty ahead for you is eternal life. See, for Israel, the promise was that they would enjoy long life in the land. And so it is for us. We just have to redefine what long means. (laughs) Forever. Eternal. And not a weary, unceasing, painful eternity, but rather a joyful, free eternity forever without any challenges, any hardships, any aches or pains, any struggles or troubles, eternal life. That also is a delight, wouldn't you think, that God has promised us and lies ahead for us. See, so many reasons, aren't there, to... Rather than seeing obedience to God and to his law as a hardship, so many reasons to see it as a gift. To be aware of the dangers uh, so that we'll have an eye out for them. To understand the defences that God has given us so that we'll be arming ourselves well against those dangers so that we'll just be able to push through them when they come. And these delights that actually make facing dangers enjoyable in a way because we know that we belong to God and he has given us many good gifts even though the journey might be hard at times. So let's be aware of the dangers, make use of the defences and enjoy the delights of being God's obedient children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your word brings life, true life, good life. Help us to trust that this is so, rather than to think that we know best. Father, you know our hearts and you know all the different ways that we doubt that your word is good and we choose our own path. And you know even better than we do where those paths lead. Father, turn us around, we pray. Convict us of where we're wandering, where we're complacent or compromising, where we're grumbling and complaining. And turn us around, turn us back to the right and true path that you have plotted for us. Father, help us always to remember that that's the path that Jesus Christ has walked ahead of us. That when we walk that path, we're following him. 
that, that we don't walk that path uh, in fear of condemnation or anything like that. We walk it because uh, we belong to you through your true son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that even though that path may be hard for us, that it will certainly have its challenges, we ask that you'll help us yet to delight in being your children and to enjoy the many good gifts that you bestow upon us along the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.